I'm a booger. I'm a booger booger. I'm a booger. I'm a booger 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 booger. Thank you for downloading this episode of I'm a Booker Booker, a novel podcast about books and the people who write them. Cabin fever has started to set in as we spill over into the second half of the lockdown. Every day is Groundhog Day. You thought this would be the opportunity to write the great South African novel, but instead you spend hours reading COVID-19 worst-case scenarios, taking your temperature every seven minutes, and fixating on the rising number of worldwide infections. We're traveling into the heart of the lockdown to bring you I'm a Booker Booker, The Quarantine Chronicles, a short and sweet distraction from the pandemic, because what you need to do right now is relax, stay at home, and avoid the coronavirus like the plague. Author's lockdown, T minus three. Gail Schimmel writes best-selling novels that have more twists and turns than Kyle Army. Marriage Vows, Whatever Happened to the Cowley Twins, The Park, and The Accident. Her most recent novel, The Two-Week-Old Two Months, is a psychological thriller. Primary school teacher Erica and her husband Kenneth have a great life. Erica loves her job. She loves her husband, but one morning she wakes up and has forgotten the last two months of her life. She begins to piece together what has happened, but there are consequences. You will probably laugh, you maybe even cry as the story unfolds, but you will certainly gasp when it ends. Welcome to I'm a Booker Booker, Gail. Can you please read us an extract from two months? Thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm, I'm going to read you a little bit. It's a little bit into the book. Two months works on several um, several time scales. There's now, there's then, and then there's before. And I'm going to read you the first extract of before. So this is looking into Erica's um, teenagehood. Erica is in matric, and we're looking back, and this is the first glimpse we get of, of why Erica is how Erica is and why what's going to unfold is going to unfold. Okay. I'm sitting under the tree outside the school. My mother is late to fetch me again. I'm a regular feature under this tree. My friends always know where to find me. The security guard chewing gum while staring to the middle distance takes me as part of the scenery. Robin Page is walking towards me. Her blonde ponytail swishes from side to side. Her uniform looks different from our uniform. She somehow tweaked it, made it shorter and better and sexier. I could try to do that all day long, but it wouldn't turn out the same. I don't know if it's something to do with my ability to be cool or the shape of my body. I tug at my skirt, aware suddenly of how my thighs are spread like legs of lamb on the grass. But Caitlin isn't with me, so I know I won't even register on Robin's radar. This doesn't bother me. I don't think we have much in common. To my surprise, she stops next to me and sits down on the grass, right where I am waiting. So, your mom is late again, she says. It's not a question. I take a moment, finding it hard to believe that she's noticed me and is aware of my mother's fetching habits. Yes, I eventually say. She often is. Nothing to worry about. Robin makes a grunt like she agrees. We sit there. I don't know what she wants, so I don't know what to say. So, she says at last, her eyes focused on the road. So, this is awkward, but some of the girls have asked me to talk to you about your smell. My smell? You know, she says, gently nudging me with her elbow, the way you often stink. 
She says this like it's something she and I have had long conversations about, like this is a well-established truth. I don't stink, I tell her. Oh, silly, Robin says with a laugh. Of course you do. Fat girls always stink. Fact. I look at her, not quite believing what I'm hearing out of that rosebud mouth. What? Frankly, it's becoming embarrassing. You need to bath more and use more deer and perfume. I don't know, just do something because you really, really stink. Her voice is still sweet and calm. I can feel my face flushing and tears forming. Nobody has ever been this mean to me in my life. Robin stands and smiles down at me like we've just had a lovely chat. Maybe that's why your mum is always late, she says, because she also can't stand your stink. So she, like, puts it off, has a few drinks to cope. She looks like a drinker, that's for sure. Sure. Um, how do you know so much about psychopaths? <laughs> <laughs> I think we all know a lot about psychopaths, actually. Um, you know, I think we all know a lot about just people and I think we all know a lot about school dynamics I think we whatever part of wherever you you fell in the school dynamic equation I think anyone who can observe people has observed those dynamics so your book arrived in bookstores during the week of the lockdown the timing really sucks what did it mean for your marketing I mean it's been it's been a hell of a journey because it, it literally, like you said, it, it was due, we were due to have the formal launch on the 2nd of April. Um, and the timing was such that we, we couldn't pull it back. The, the print copies had arrived and we'd actually let them start going into shops. So we couldn't pull it back and only release it later. We had this great interim plan when it was just social distancing about how we were going to let people order online and they were going to have their book in a beautiful bag and it was really going to be lovely and better than anything that had ever happened. And then suddenly bookstores couldn't deliver, so we couldn't do that. Um, so we basically had two days where you could physically buy the book. And then we've had to do the rest online. So I've had an online launch, which was actually amazing. It was it was so fun and it had people, friends from all over the world could tune in, which obviously they can't do when it's a physical launch. I had 230 people attend at various point, points of that launch, which is nothing like you get in a real life book launch. So it's been very interesting for me and the publisher. And I think only at the end of this will we really know how it's impacted the book. Yeah. You're a prolific writer. In addition to your five novels, you've written the children's book, Claude and Millie, or Vota and Bessie, as it's known in Afrikaans. You've written a textbook on advertising law. You're also a hands-on mom, have a mm. high-powered day job as the CEO of the Advertising Regulatory Board, <laughs> and you're the whipcracker on Twitter's writers. <laughs> Do you ever sleep? <laughs> Listen, that high-powered job's not so high-powered at the moment. It's happening yeah. around my dining room table, surrounded by my children and a puzzle and a hairbrush. I'm looking around me at the thing, my high-powered, my high-powered life. Um, um, and I do sleep a lot. I think sleep's very, very important. I think one can't actually achieve anything if one doesn't get enough sleep. Um, you know, it all sounds much harder than it is. The only part that's really hard is the parenting. And I think any parent will agree with that statement. <laughs> Are your friends and colleagues scared they're going to end up in your novels? Um, I think by now they they either think that they have, which they <laughs> haven't, but they might think that they have. Um or they've realized that I don't really write directly about people. Probably 
Um, probably that accident was the one where I borrowed most from real life because I used that whole school mom scenario and that whole concept of the mom who, who got the memo on how to do life. And I think we all know a whole group of those moms who got the memo on how to do life. But on the whole, I sometimes take little things from friends and little speech habits and things like that, but I don't really use people. The person who should be most afraid is my husband because he doesn't read my books. So I could use <laughs> anything about him and he would never know. <laughs> when the lockdown is over, are you worried that thin armor milk drinking vegans are going to hunt you down and bully you I, I hadn't I hadn't considered it until now thank you very much for that <laughs> how do you know when it's time for a character to die uh, what, what do you mean Jonathan do my characters die we're not giving any spoiler alerts um no, of you know I write I'm a plotter I'm a plotter not a pantser so um so I know from the beginning of a book how the book's going to go more or less um, I don't know every little thing. So a side character might die without me having known that it would happen. But the big deaths in my book, uh, I know beforehand that they are going to happen and when they're going to happen and why they're going to happen. How do you keep track of the plot and how much do you control it and how much does it control you? So I know how the book will end when I start and I know um, where I'll be more or less in the middle of the book and I make, I make notes. For two months, I made an enormous amount of notes. It, the plot is very complicated from a writer's point of view, hopefully not from a reader's point of view. But for a writer, it was extremely complicated to keep track of this plot um, with the three timelines particularly. Um, and so that I've got lots of notes that have got arrows and crossing arts and little ex explanations to myself and also exclamations to myself as I realize a different plot line that I could follow. So, th so that one was very complicated. I have to say the next one will deliberately be a more straightforward plot because I got very exhausted keeping track of two months. So there is a next one. So when can we... Oh, there's always the next there's one. There's always a next one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, when I started writing, you know, uh, when I wrote Marriage Files, which was my first book, um, I wrote it... It was published at quite a difficult time in my life when I just had my first baby and I, I, I quite a lot was going on in my world at that time. And it took me a long time to write my second book. And I think the fear is always once you've written one book, are you going to be able to write the second book? But since then, it, the plots have come to me fairly quickly. I, I fairly soon after finishing one book, I know what the next book will be. Sometimes while I'm finishing book A, book B will come to me. Um, and I'm not I'm not really sure why I write. So I don't really know what motivates me. It's certainly not the money. Um, so so it's, it's something to do with needing to tell a story. And I think I always will come across those stories that I want to tell. So what is your strategy for keeping sane during this lockdown? Uh, you know, at the moment, I don't know that I really have one. I'm feeling quite overcome by it today because I've been, um, Johannesburg private schools have been doing school up until um, up until the Easter weekend. So we've had a very nice um, kind of routine of the kids doing schoolwork and online lessons while my husband and I work. And it's been really, we've been really on top of it. But now the kids don't have anything to do. And I have to say, for the first time, I'm feeling quite panicked about it. So, so ask me in a few days, please, what my strategy is. Or if anyone's got any ideas, they can maybe let me know. We're about halfway into the extended lockdown. What do you regret not stockpiling? 
Oh, this is quite funny. I wish that I had bought an ice cream machine. I feel that everything would have been okay if I could make ice cream during the lockdown. That suddenly seems like the most vital piece of equipment. And I'm, I don't know if it's because we're watching MasterChef. We're quite behind in MasterChef. And, you know, they make a lot of ice cream in MasterChef. So it seems to me a good way to spend a lockdown. Other than that, um, I think we did quite well. You know, we we've, we live very close to a shop. So going to the shops is not the end of the world. Um, and we stockpiled the, nothing really. I can't say we stockpiled anything and I can't say I'm missing anything except an ice cream machine. <laughs> you would be the, <laughs> the one person you would hate to be stuck in isolation with. Obviously, Donald Trump. Isn't that everybody's answer worldwide? Well, it hasn't been actually, but um, somebody said Steve Hoffmeyer. <laughs> oh, that would be bad too. That would be bad. Um, no, but I'll take Steve over Donald. Just. <laughs> oh, God, that's a terrible choice. That's like that dreadful game. Who would you sleep with? That's terrible. No. <laughs> <laughs> what is the title of the book about this pandemic? Uh, two months, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and now sound effects. Rorschach test. The first thing I thought of, obviously, I've got, I've got a lovely garden, and I love my garden birds, and um, I get a great deal of pleasure out of, out of watching the birds and feeding the birds, and that's been a part of lockdown. And then connected with that is I'm fascinated with lockdown about um, how the planet's healing itself. I'm fascinated about the return of wildlife to places there haven't been wildlife and the drop in pollution. And so I've been watching the birds with a bit of interest to try and figure out if I'm seeing more birds with lockdown um, or hearing more birds with lockdown now that everything's quieter and calmer. So that's part of it. And then the other thing it made me think of, even though it's quite an unraven-like sound, although I'm not sure, I don't think ravens make sweet little tweets. Um, but if you look at a hard copy of my book, which will be hard for anyone except me to do, um, there is a raven at the back, and I love the raven at the back. And the raven had even been proposed for the front of it, but we decided that that wouldn't work. But there's a raven at the back of the book, which is I like because it it's, it's about the darkness in this in this book. This book is definitely a darker book than I have written before. And so that raven makes me very, very happy for some reason. But I don't think ravens make pretty bird tweets like you played for me. So this has made me smile, and it's a very unexpected reason. Because a phone, which I, that's what I'm hearing, I'm hearing a phone ringing, not an alarm clock going off or anything like that. And that more traditional phone ringing sound reminds me. So my father, my father could do this thing where he sounded exactly like a telephone. Um, and he'd whistle and then make a noise in his throat at the same time. And if you can do that, you can sound exactly like a traditional telephone ring. When he came to pick me up from parties or wanted to get my attention across a crowd or anything like that, he'd ring like a telephone. <laughs> and my friends were fascinated by him ringing like a telephone. It was his great party trick. And I don't think of it very often because it's such a small thing, but it is really something that I can immediately picture my father um, and remember him. So I quite like that sound of phones ringing. I, I read somewhere that you've also got a party trick. Do I, I can touch my, t my nose with my tongue. I know. I saw the photo. <laughs> 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 and that really is the beginning and the end of my talents. <laughs> <laughs>
scan. This is the last sound. We're doing a video call. I'll do it for you. You'll have to send us a photograph that we'll put with the podcast. And my children can both do it. It's genetic. So we have a great time. You know, we're not a complete loss for what to do. We all just lick the top of our noses. But is it because you've got a long tongue or a long nose? Long tongue. Definitely long tongue. That was fun. So my media thought, oh, this is very like one of those free association psychological tests because my media thought was it was a video that my son played me the other day, you know, you know, these dreadful TikTok videos. And this is one where one of those videos where you watch and you watch and you watch and then suddenly something scary looms up in the camera. And he keeps forgetting that he's shown it to me. So I'm not scared by it anymore because I know that the thing's going to loom up in the camera. And that's how it made me think of that. Very free association. Thank you, Gail. Two Months is a book that will prove a great distraction from the lockdown. Gail, where can people get their eyes on this book? Okay, so obviously you've, you've missed the only two days that there were where you could get a solid copy of the book at the moment. So you can get it on ebook through Amazon or Kobo. You, you have to be registered as a South African user. It's not available on the, on the UK or American sites at the moment. Or you can be very patient and you can pre-order it from your favorite bookshop and then you'll be able to get it when the lockdown ends, if it ever ends. Um, my favorite people are obviously the people who are going to buy it digitally now. Read it because like you said, I think it is a good lockdown read. Um, and, then, and then also buy a hard copy. Those are my favorite. Thank you for listening to I'm a Booker Booker, the Quarantine Chronicles, live from the lockdown. You can subscribe to I'm a Booker Booker on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a Booker Booker is produced by Jonathan Anser and Dan Dews and brought to you by Books Live in collaboration with Multimedia Live. Authors who would like to be featured, email jonathan.anser at gmail.com. I'm a Booker Booker. I'm a Booker.